everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Neil and some tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have, uh, I guess we got some clay court tennis, uh, some things to discuss. As always, I have with me my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, uh, we uh, were awaiting uh, Novak's arrival. It was short-lived. I think a few of the people were hoping for a Novak uh, Carlos Alcaraz uh, meeting. I, I, I always question those tweets, and I guess it's fun to discuss, but I always question those projected matches, especially so far in advance of the tournament, because they rarely play out as they, uh, as they do. Um, but again, it's fun for discussion. Good to see Novak back, of course. But again, as you know, and, and you'll talk about a little bit, the starting and stopping, I don't care how good you are uh, in any sport, the starting and stopping uh, is difficult, but now he'll, he'll hopefully be able to play a few tournaments in a row now and, and uh, get his rhythm back. Yeah, that's exactly what it's about, uh, David, because I, you know, he played only in Dubai. So he played three matches in Dubai, lost in the quarters there, and then had another break. So this is literally his fourth match of the entire 2022 season you're right. It is hard to get going. Now, Andy Roddick, among others, thought that was a good draw for Novak to play Alejandro, <laughs> the man with the trickiest name in tennis. You know, we're going to we're going to refer to him as Fokina in a minute. But, you know, uh, he is a tough Spaniard. He's 22 years old. Uh, it, it, Novak had lost seven games to him, to Fokina, in the two previous clashes that they had. Seven games combined in four sets. Now, that's not to say that this couldn't have been tougher, but that tells you something. The second thing is I watched it in its entirety. And uh, Novak was never comfortable in the wind. It was extreme, really swirling. Fokina handled it beautifully because he seemed to be able to hit through the wind, go down the line at will. And the other thing, so then Novak went to his play that works so effectively, David, against most players, of course, his backhand drop shot. But... uh, Fokina was, Davidovich Fokina was just on to that incredibly quick coming forward and getting to the drop shots and making aggressive plays off them. So in a, in a lot of ways, he took that play away from Novak, but it was, a, it was, Novak was not in good form at all in the first set, lost his serve three times. Then he comes back from 4-2 down in the second and also came back from 4-2 down in the tiebreaker. And, and played his best tennis of the match in that stretch of winning five of the last six points to win the tiebreaker with a forehand pass up the line that was vintage Novak. But oddly, then in the third set, physically, he didn't have anything left. And he said it afterwards. He said, I ran out of gas. You don't hear him say that very often, particularly about a best of three set match. I have to believe it's the lack of match play because surely he was training David as hard as he needed, needed to do. But the nice, I do expect, as you said at the outset, Novak will regroup. He's in Serbia as we speak, playing in Belgrade, and, and he should be able to hopefully get three, four matches in there. Four matches might be, might mean him winning the tournament because they'll get a buy into the round of 16. But as for Davidovich Fokina, wow, David, it was so nice to see a guy like that who springs a big upset over the world number one and then goes all the way to the finals knocking off a, a couple of good wins in that spell. Well, beat, beat Goffin, beat Taylor Fritz from a set down, and then, of course, beat Grigor Dimitrov, who was on another one of his good runs to the penultimate round, and played a very respectable final against uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. So good for Davidovich Fokina to, to back up that, that win over Novak 
and take himself from a ranking of number 46 in the world to, I believe he hit 27 today, or he was projected to. So it's, uh, I, I'm fascinated to see where he goes from here. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you said, you know, so, so many times you see someone get a huge win and then the next round they just kind of flame out. They don't back it up. But that was not the case with Fakina. Um, also, the, the final against Stefanos, it was interesting. It was 6-3, and then at 4-4, Steph broke, right, to serve for it. And that's when the match got a little, uh, got a little dicey, right? Fakina broke right back to get 5-5 yeah. holds for 6-5. Steph holds, and then they get to a tiebreaker. Um, Steph won that match, but at 4-4, it, 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 got a, it got a little interesting in that juncture of the match. Yeah, it did. Uh, frankly, I do, I do uh, put a little bit of blame on Stefanos. I mean, a player of his caliber with his serve, should, he should serve it out there. He also had a break, David, earlier in the match. It was interesting because he was down a break early in the first set, down 2-1, and then he went on a spree from 2-1 down in the first to win it 6-3 and go up to love in the second and uh, Davidovich Fokina broke back there as well. So good for the Spaniard to keep competing that honorably and to keep Stefanos honest. But I thought it was fitting that Tsitsipas won the tiebreaker so comfortably because he was the better player and he was long overdue to win another title. And he'd been through so many woes since last spring, since he won this tournament a year ago and then went, won another clay court tournament in Lyon, and then went all the way to the finals of the French and led Djokovic two sets to love. And after that, it was not the same Sitsipas the rest of the year. Then we had the elbow surgery at the end of the year. So he'd been through an awful lot. And despite making the semis in Australia to start the year, hadn't have been a great start to this year either. So I think this is going to do him a world of good. Uh, he's back on what seems to be his favorite surface, David. That's, what are your thoughts on that? Because to me, it's almost puzzling. I, I, I see him as a very good all-surface player, but someone who loves to attack, and yet he gets his best results on the clay. Yeah, I, you don't see it on its face. I wouldn't say the clay is his favorite surface, but it, it it's, appears that it is. I mean, gosh, he repeated he repeated another win, another uh, Masters 1000 in Monte Carlo. I, he defends that. That's really hard to do. He was up two sets to love against Djokovic in the French Open final last year. Um, he's yeah. certainly very comfortable and capable. And I think looking forward to this French Open, um, he's definitely got to be one of the, the very, oh, no, very no. few favorites. David, it's funny. This is giving me a sense of deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra might say, because we talked so much about him last year leading up to the French. And of course, he came so close to winning it. But you and I kept analyzing where does he belong among the favorites as we got close to the French. And I think you and I felt like he may have been the second favorite after Rafa because Novak had been struggling on the clay up until the end of the clay court campaign when he won, uh, when he reached the finals of Rome and won uh, the second Belgrade, second Serbian event right before the French. So that might have changed things. But Stefanos had looked so good all through that campaign. Then he beats Medvedev at the French in the quarters. Then he beats Zarev in the semis and goes up two sets against Novak in the final. Imagine what a trifecta that would have been wow. if he pulled that one off. So I, I do think he's very confident. I think the one guy, frankly, that he wants to avoid, and he may have to play him this week, is named Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, this kid has haunted him twice. He's both on hard courts, U.S. Open last year <laughs> and and then a few weeks ago in the States. But but. That that kid, I think, maybe scares him a bit. But otherwise, I, I like his confidence level. And it's great to see him playing this well. The one drawback, David, his father 
got an, he got another warning for coaching during that final. I wish they could sort this out because it's just not helping. I don't know what it, it may be in the moment. It helps him, but the, this it's a source of kind of, I got to believe it's a source of aggravation too, to have this, have this constantly be on his agenda to have people talking about it. And he's not a cheater. He's a guy that plays hard and plays fair, but I think his father is getting in the way. I think I, and I don't know if it's Andy Roddick, it may not have been him. It may have been someone else, but what if they, put coaching violations as cumulative across the entire tournament, because if they yeah. were to enforce yeah. that, that would stop a lot of what's going on. I think. Yeah. The other thing, obviously the other thing, and I don't mean this just because of Sitsipas. I've, I've long believed, and I have many longtime uh, observers disagreeing with me on this. It's a controversial issue, but I've, I've been, I'm, I'm a proponent of just permitting the coaching get it out in the open, let them sit at the changeovers, David, the way Davis cup captains do it. And then we no longer have to worry about whether the umpire happens to see the infraction or not. Because it's happening, right, Steve? I mean, it's happening, happening all the time. And I always recalled Peter Lundgren telling me he had coached Federer at one time and then he worked with Safin and Safin said to him, Murat Safin, I want you to, I want the signals during them. I want coaching. He said, but Murat, you know, you, he said, I don't care. If I get penalized, I can accept that, but I'm asking you to do it. And I don't think that's that uncommon, by the way. I think a lot of players feel that they can get away with it and they do want it. And to me, why is it, it, it's a good thing for the game if you just put those guys down there in the chairs at the changeover and they can talk to their player at every changeover. Some people don't like it because they say, no, it's an individual sport. You solve your own problems. Okay, but we're in a modern day, big business world of tennis. It's gotten more and more professional with the training, all the rest of it, the science, the, the, the statistics. So to me, to, to have the, the, give the players the benefit of that coaching at courtside in a legal fashion where nobody can question it, they still have to go back out. Right. You know, Stefanos' father gives them the best advice in the world before he goes out to serve for the match. He still has to close it out on his own. His father 100%. can't afford him. So to me... I, I like the idea, but in the meantime, we're not at, since we're not at that point yet, I think Sitsipas has to be a little careful here. I, I don't like to see him subjected to criticism that he doesn't need. So if I were him, I would say, dad, let's stop that now. Let's just talk before the matches. Let's work out a, a game plan. And then you tell me whatever you want after the match. But this, this is not how I can't believe that he thinks it's helping him. Yeah. Yeah. I, like you said, it may just be spur of the moment. I mean, it's so hard to watch and, and you see something you want to send the message out there. Um, obviously it's not right to do right now, but uh, who knows? Yeah. Hopefully it'll get corrected. I, I, I do want to go back to a name that you mentioned, Carlos Alcaraz. And as long as you can put up with me for a few more years, uh, we're going to be talking about this match between Sebastian Corda and Carlos Alcaraz. We're going to be talking about this matchup. Uh, for a while. We've already talked about it a couple of times in previous outings with that. I think they played the next gen final last year. Um, they did. Oh, now, interesting thing, David, they did. And that was straight sets, obviously different, different format. format. Got to win four, four games to win a set. No ad. It's a little tricky. And Alcaraz played the big points better this time. That was of course in perfect conditions at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, uh, this was in swirling wind again, that was quite reminiscent of the Djokovic match uh, against Fokina. And what about Carlos against Rafa? I mean, Carlos' last two losses have been in horrendous conditions. 
Carlo, really? yes, the Carlos Rafa conditions in Indian Wells were the worst by far. However, this was still severe winds. And, and interestingly, I thought Carlos handled it better the day he played Rafa than he did against Corda. But Corda, to his great credit, David, you got to remember that Carlos served for the first set twice, didn't close him out, lost that in a tiebreak. Then Carlos comes back and wins the second in a tiebreak. You think maybe he's got him now. He's 2-love in the third. At, and Corda wins six of the next seven games. So, I mean, I, all credit. I thought he played beautifully. I thought it was high-quality stuff over three hours. Hopefully the first of many stirring battles between them. I don't think it was the top of the line, Carlos Alcaraz, coming off his big win in Miami. On the other hand, it was terrific from Corda, who then lost to Taylor Fritz. I was a bit surprised by that. No disrespect to Taylor Fritz. But again, you kind of hope that Corda was going to take his big win uh, the way Davidovich Fokina did and keep going. He wasn't able to do it. He lost a tight two-set match to Fritz, but still step in the right direction for Corda to have a win of, of that nature over uh, the, the hottest player in the sport in Carlos Alcaraz. So uh, that, that was a fascinating match and, and Alcaraz took it beautifully, David. It tip, his comments afterwards seemed to me typify the man in the sense that you, know, I, you learn from your losses. Sometimes it's good to lose. I didn't hear somebody rationalizing. I heard somebody was just realistic that you're going to take it on the chin occasionally against a another young rival and and you just have to do your you do have to do your best to learn from it except the fact that sometimes the tight ones get away from you he won so many close ones came back in so many sets in miami uh this time uh, uh, a couple of sets got away from him that he was capable of winning so yeah, be it. I, I like that i like the corda and uh alcaraz they also respect each other as individuals too so it's a friendly um but fierce rivalry it's going to be fun to see how it plays out um, over the span of their careers. Yeah, it, it will. And no doubt that And on that day, in those difficult conditions, Corda was the better player. He deserved it. But I, I think Alcaraz, as this clay court circuit moves along, we're going to see a lot of wins out of him. And I expect him to be a serious contender at Roland Garros and then along the way to post some good semis, finals, maybe even win a tournament along the way to Roland Garros. But he won't be discouraged by one tough loss to, to Sebastian Corda. No. And, and, you know, the conversation has started to creep out there and it's, it's interesting. Maybe it's because he's, you know, from Spain where Rafa is and he, that's his idol and he hit with Rafa as a young kid, but you know, the question that's being raised right now, and I think it's a legitimate question because you've seen how much success Carlos has had on the hard court is everyone. I think just assumed, Oh my God, this guy is an unbelievable clay quarter. They weren't initially talking about his success on the hard court. Now, in all fairness, he does not play like Rafa. I don't think anybody plays like Rafa, right? No one has that type of Rafa ball, the Rafa, the lefty. Um, his ball on a hard court obviously goes through, especially backhand. He takes that backhand early down the line. I'll ask you, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts. Will Is it is it just a foregone conclusion that Alcaraz is going to be better on clay than he is on hard court? I'm not so sure. That's so true right now. No, I think it's it's a very good point. I, I, I don't think it's clear yet what his best surface is going to be. I think it's probably going to be very, his results will be comparable on hard, hard courts and clay. I think his game translates well to either surface. The interesting part will be to see in the brief grass court season what he can do at Wimbledon. How, how well does he adjust to the grass? That might be the toughest adjustment of all. But I do think that the hard court, clay court debate uh, 
only time will tell, but I expect him to be similarly great on both (laughs) surfaces. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, again, him and Corda. They're going to, you know, if they they do what they both should be able to do, they could play, you know, they could rival some of the great rivals out there as far as how many times they face off each other. Um, yeah, I, they could, no doubt. I hope that Corda is going to be of the same level long term in terms of that the meetings happen to occur in semis and finals of majors. That would be nice if Corda proved that. I, I, I don't think any, any of us doubt that. Alcaraz will be in that territory. And that's not to say that Corda won't. I just think the challenge might be slightly greater for him, but he's, he's capable of it. He's got a great temperament. And uh, I was very impressed that he could play. He could play that well on the clay. I think of him as being maybe slightly better on hard courts. I would agree. Yeah. Well said, you know, there's a player that you've uh, watched uh, a long time and he played his last match today uh, it, it didn't go well today, but it's not about that at all. But Tommy Robredo, 39 years old, he had 12 ATP titles. I know you want to talk about Tommy a little bit. Um, you know, I was looking up some stats uh, because we all remember the 2013 round of 16 win against Fed. And I'm, I know you're going to talk about that. You know, he was one in 11 versus Federer. But that one win was at the 2013 round of 16. I know you've covered, uh, you've watched Tommy a long time. Uh, interested to hear your thoughts as he uh, as he retires now. Well, a couple of things, David. Let me start with that point about the Feder match. I was there that day. That was a very important match historically because Rafa and Roger, of course, had met. They met in 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 three straight Wimbledon finals and three straight French finals, 06 to 08. Amazing, just back to back Wimbledon, uh, French and Wimbledon finals, all three years. They've met in the Australian finals in 09 and again in 17. But the, and then, of course, Rafa beat Roger in, in four French finals. But they've never met at the U.S. Open. That's Bobby, crazy. Never, That's crazy. <laughs> closest, the, the, the most, the closest they ever came. Well, I shouldn't say that because they, they came very close in 10 and 11, too, because Novak, uh, Novak knocked Roger out in the semifinals both years of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open. And Rafa was in the finals both times. And and save match points. So that was the absolute closest they came with Djokovic saving two match points in consecutive years against Federer in the semifinals of the U S open. So we would have had, we would have had a Nadal Federer final in each case. However, here's Robredo playing against Roger, as you say, I mean, it ends up 11 and one, I think it was 10 and zero at this stage for Roger. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody. And so Rafa is going to is playing at the same time against Cole Schreiber in the stadium. I'm watching. So I watched it. It was right around the same time. And I think he actually saw the results going up. But Roger loses the Robreda match. And naturally, Rafa beats Cole Schreiber and goes on to win the tournament. But we looked like we were going to have a quarterfinal. Now, obviously, that would have been somewhat disappointing because we prefer to see these guys play later. But it was going to long last. It was going to be Nadal better at the open. Tommy Robredo was responsible for it. And but what I liked was here was this hardworking, earnest craftsman from Spain, well-liked, what, this long, distinguished career that you just mentioned, getting to number five in the world. Uh, and and just that enduring, I don't want to say excellence, but enduring competence and, and professionalism that he exhibited. So I was I was happy for him that day, even though he spoiled that matchup that he could beat Roger at the U S open. And, and, 
you know, that was that was indicative of him. He got to the quarterfinals of all the singles majors except Wimbledon, where he was in the 16s. So, I mean, that's a very impressive record. He was not Correcha. He was not Moya. Some of the Spaniards were better than him, but that's no knock on him. If you get to number five in the world and these guys happen to be better than that, so be it. And obviously Rafa, the greatest Spaniard of all in this in this modern period. But he had a really remarkable career and he should be proud of it as he as he pushes on to the age of 40. Amen. Yeah, very well said. I think one of the craziest stats in sports, just not in tennis, in sport, is that Rafa and Roger have never met at the U.S. Open in any round. And and I well, don't know, they, there's a good chance that that does not, that, that they will both be retired and that will not yeah. happen. Excellent chance. No, I mean, the, the 10, it, oh, it's 2010 and 11 were, the, they just couldn't have come any closer. I mean, right. you know, both times, not only was, was, Roger at match point. He was at double match point yeah. both times. So, you know, it, it looked so likely that it, that that uh, Roger was going to join Rafa in the finals those years, and it didn't happen. Two spectacular Djokovic comebacks. But uh, but in 13, then, I, as I say, it seemed even, I mean, you couldn't imagine that Tommy was going to beat Roger on a hard court at the U.S. Open, and yet he did just that. Was it a top-of-the-line fetter? No. But that that takes nothing away from Robredo knocking him off on a show court uh, at the U.S. Open to reach the quarterfinals. Well, uh, you know, before we end, I know there were some pictures on social media. Rafa was back on the practice court today, so he's getting healthy and we'll be seeing him uh, beat up on some opponents in the clay rather soon. And then we also saw Mr. Federer on the court hitting a few balls. So we will. uh, We'll see. Time will tell. I'm still going with my prediction, Steve, and I hope I'm wrong because I, I hope Roger can play forever. But I do think Roger's last professional match will be playing doubles with with Rafa and Labor Cup. Again, I hope I'm wrong on that. Um, I want what? Roger to play a long time. Yeah, David, I, I hope you're wrong, too. I share your view, but he's a very interesting guy. And if he feels like he's got a push in him, to come back and 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 just play doubles in Labor Cup and then ease into competition in the fall and give it one more try next year, I wouldn't be shocked either because his love of the game it just runs so deep. So if he feels his body is allowing him to do it, uh, you, you know he's going to turn forty-one. So you know you, you can't. I can't see him pushing it beyond next year. But I, that scenario wouldn't shock me either. I think a lot will depend on how his body feels when he returns supposedly in late summer. Yep. No, I agree with you, Steve. And, and I, I can't believe it. I mean, the French open, we still got some tournaments uh, to get through, but the French open is around the corner. You can't tell it, at least in my home state, it's April, whatever date we're recording this, the 18th, there was snow on the ground this morning. So uh, we're, we're, we're getting there slowly, but surely. Um, so guys, everybody enjoy the tennis. Um, Good college tennis too, people. You college tennis fans, you got the conference tournaments coming up and then you got the uh, the NCAA tournaments for them coming up too. So a lot of tennis to go around. Steve, thanks a lot. We're going to talk We're going to talk uh, quite a bit before the French start. It's going to be fascinating to see once that draw comes out, who's playing well, who's not playing well, who can make a run and, and see if any of these young guys can really, really make a deep, deep run in the next slam. Absolutely. And let's hope Rafa's fully healthy. It's nice to see him back on the court. He's got to test himself a little bit more, but we hope hopefully we're going to get to see him in Madrid and Rome. But I do have one prediction for you. Between now and the French, I think we're going to see a lot of different 
winners. Sitsipas uh, yeah. maybe grabs another title. Alcaraz perhaps gets on the board once. Djokovic will be determined to win, particularly this coming week in Serbia. I think we're going to see a lot of players stepping into the forefront and coming into Roland Garros, brimming with confidence. I agree, and I can't wait to see it. Steve, as always, thanks again. This is a lot of fun. Thank you, David.